everyone. I'm so glad to see you. Will you do me a favor? So many of you wore your new West t-shirts today, which I never saw in person before today. Will you, do you, I can take your picture, right? Will you, if you wore your West t-shirt, will you stand up so I can take a little picture of you all? Oh, you look so great. Okay, smile, wave, yay. Oh, I love it. Okay, thanks. All right, sit back down. Well, I have been thinking about this platform for about three months, actually. I became aware over sabbatical of how much my process of learning and integrating learning and reflecting and thinking, how much over the years that process has really been about the idea of eventually sharing it with you. So I've had this kind of extended conversation in my head for the last three months where I I think of something or I have an insight and and then I I sort of put it into, oh, well, how will I say that in this platform? And and how will I say that? And I try to jot it down and, and pull it all together. So really, a lot of the last three months has been talking to you inside my head, um where you have lived. (laughs) What else, though, have I done? I wanted to tell you a little bit about how I spent that time. You know about the shoes now already. Well, so I volunteered at my daughter's school, uh, practiced some piano. I had lunch with a friend, took a really long, leisurely walk, brought the girls to visit their old daycare provider, who they hadn't seen in a while, journaled about all of that. That was the first day. (laughs) And then I was done with that, and I did those things. So um, it was a little little hard for me. That first month in May, I spent a lot of time thinking, could I go back early? Would that be? Would that be all right? I'm used to, like many of us, I imagine, having my days all stacked up. You know, I set a 10 o'clock appointment, and then I have an 11 o'clock appointment, and then I have a 12 o'clock appointment, and then I forgot to have lunch, so I have a 1 o'clock appointment, so there wasn't actually time for lunch, so I eat it during my 1 o'clock appointment, but the 1 o'clock's in Rockville. Did you ever do that? And you didn't really remember that you had to drive to Rockville to get there in between... And so it was a totally new experience for me, at least over the last seven years, a new experience. I'm sure I had it at some point in my life. It was a new experience not to have my days stacked up quite like that and to figure out what to do with that time, how to structure it. So one of the commitments I had made to myself at the beginning of sabbatical, along with the commitment not to plan that time, so I intended to have this kind of free time to just be in, one of the commitments I had made was uh, to do some journaling during that time. Now, I want to tell you about my history with journals over my lifetime. I have um, I've saved them all. They're, they're on a shelf in my house. Um, all of my journals uh, include two entries. Um, the first day that I started the journal, and then the next day, and then... Um, and I don't know what to do with them, because it seems... Like you don't want to throw them away. They are, you know, memories of my childhood and adolescence and young adulthood, but pretty brief memories from pretty specific periods of time. So I keep them all on a, on a shelf 
they're all fully blank, except for the first two entries. Um, but obviously, I was going to be different on sabbatical. And so I think it's indicative of my commitment to you, really, and to my work on sabbatical that this time, my journal lasted two weeks. <laughs> I just really, you should applaud, because that was a really big deal. And I even went back in July and added some entries. There's one from June. So, you know, I mean... <laughs> So, really, that was, I had over the sabbatical some of the best journaling of my entire life. It was a true commitment. One of the things that I noted throughout those many journal entries over those two weeks, and then again in June and July, um, was the spaciousness that I experienced. The idea that because my day wasn't all stacked up, I found, surprise, surprise, that I didn't have to rush in between things. I had time to get to the next appointment. There weren't limits on my time. I was able to say yes to things when people asked. That was one of the first things I noticed, that I could say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll show up. Yes, I can have lunch. Yes, I can volunteer. There was a sense, too, for me of being able to just be present in a new way. It makes sense, you know, the word sabbatical is, of course, tied to the word Sabbath, that idea of the day of rest. I had an opportunity over sabbatical to spend a Saturday with someone who is an observant Jew and to talk to him a little bit about his practices around keeping Sabbath, the way that he's able to study but not work. He doesn't carry things, he doesn't lift things, but he can laugh with family and friends. He can read and think. So I experienced all this expansiveness and freedom in that time, nothing limiting what I could do. Anything was possible for me. I could have journaled every day, for instance. And so one of the things I noticed at the same time were the challenges that that freedom presented to me. The way that limits, whether they're self-imposed or imposed by others on us, give shape to our time. And the challenge of suddenly facing time without the same kind of limits. I had chosen to plan almost nothing for the month of May with the idea that I would really just disconnect. But then what I found was I got to May and I had actually nothing planned. It was funny how that worked. And, and as the month continued, I found that sense of um, decision fatigue. Have you ever had that? Maybe when you're on vacation or between jobs, you're having a staycation at home, and you think, oh, I live in Washington, even just on a, on a Saturday. I live in Washington. There are all these amazing things that I could do. I'm going to look through the Washington Post and look at the community calendar. Then I'll check out the Gazette. And now it's like 1 p.m., And I haven't done any of those things because there are so many of them that I could choose from. I could visit every park in D.C. I thought about that. There's a lot of parks in D.C., it turns out. (laughs) I could spend every day walking a different local trail. There's also a lot of trails. And I could take ten kinds of dance classes. I took three. I thought that was pretty good. I thought a lot during that time and wrote about the way that limits offer a kind of safety to us. 
the way we crave that structure, or at least I do. I thought, too, about the way that limits offer safety in our self-image. Let me tell you something else I was going to do on sabbatical. When I was done journaling every day, obviously, you know, I have long struggled with the fact that, um, you know, I work full-time, my husband works full-time, we have two kids, I get home, and then I have an evening meeting, and I'm never able to cook the kind of meal that in my fantasies I would cook for my family. It would be um, beautifully plated, obviously, probably foam. They use foam now. Um, Nutritious, all kale would feature in it, you know, just this beautifully presented meal, which I didn't have time to do. Um, and, and, And I was so frustrated by that limit on my time that I wasn't able to make the meal that I knew I had the ability to make for my family. And so over my sabbatical, obviously, to have this, uh, this opportunity to, to cook really incredible, delicious, nutritious meals for my family. I can now tell you with complete certainty that given an, an actually unlimited amount of time in which to prepare that meal for my family, I will not feed them. <laughs> I literally never once made... I mean, my family was, like, they consumed food. They were fed. <laughs> They're fine. You can see them. Marcella grew, so it's okay. They're getting appropriate caloric. But it turns out, it turns out that it wasn't the time limits that I thought were keeping me from making those meals. It turns out I'm not somebody who makes meals for my family on a, on a daily basis. And you know, the real story facing that real truth about myself is a little depressing, I'll be honest. But there's a freedom in it as well. There's a freedom in looking in the mirror and seeing accurately who you are having to let go of the things that you think are keeping you from being this fantasy person, Betty Crocker, I guess, I'm not sure who. (laughs) Many of you, perhaps, managed to make meals for your family, but not me. (laughs) There's a freedom in looking at that. Now that I know who I am, really, (laughs) suddenly the, the universe shifts a little bit. My focus becomes not the beautifully plated meal with the foam and the kale and stuff, but, you know, how can I and my husband reasonably provide food that is an appropriate caloric intake and, uh, you know, has some vegetable for my children so that they survive and grow to adulthood? It's a shifted (laughs) priority set. And think, just think about all of the time I now have in which I cannot worry about how I would have been making meals if only I had had time to do it. No, we know now. You can remind me. I'm not that person. I'm never going to make those meals. So so I became aware of both the the challenge in in the facing reality that the lack of limits brings to you and also the freedom that comes when we face that reality, when we see ourselves accurately. I don't cook for my family. I really don't journal, let's be honest. And so I thought a lot then about who I did want to be, really. Not the person that I thought I wanted to be with the kale and the foam and the journaling, that person. But who was I really 
How do I learn and reflect best? And so sometime around the middle of May, beginning of May, I started creating some self-imposed limits, some structure for my time. I wrote a chapter for a book. I'm excited about that. There's a a book coming out hopefully next year called Humanist Voices and Unitarian Universalism. So I, I wrote a chapter for that. I'd never written a chapter before. It's a very different kind of writing than I usually do. And that was a neat box to work within. It also had a deadline. I liked that, too. Someone wanted it, emailed to them. Of course, I emailed it to them, and then they never received it, and I heard from them a month later. But it was okay. It all worked out. I read a lot of fiction over my sabbatical. Actually, that's one of the things that I do instead of cook for my family. (laughs) On one of those days, um, when I was planning to cook for my family, instead I spent literally the entire day reading a novel about vampires. Um, But I took a challenge on very early in May. It was supposed to be a month long, but I liked it so much that I extended it in through June to read fiction only by authors of color. It was a challenge that's been going around kind of Facebook. People have been inviting white folks to to take that on. It was actually hard to do in some ways. I I get most of my books from my library, and um, even in uh, Silver Spring, where you'd think we'd have the you know, a fabulously diverse collection. I found it a little bit challenging. But there were some great lists online. And that was an, an incredible limit because, like many limits, it opened up a whole new arena to me. Authors whom I will never miss again. Authors who, when their new release comes out, I will be downloading it to make sure I receive it. That vampire book was in that uh, category. It was an Octavia Butler book called Fledgling. And then one of the things I did over my sabbatical, probably the thing with the biggest limits around it, was a week-long community organizing training in Los Angeles. It only really could happen over my sabbatical because it was such a long chunk of time to be away, both from my family and, and from the area. Um, And I had been hoping to do this training for many years, and so it just fit in there in June. That was one of the best times of my sabbatical, I think, partly because, remember, I don't journal. What I do do is talk. (laughs) And so the opportunity to learn and reflect and to do so in relationship and in community with other people was such a joy. This training, which which was held at um, uh, the American Jewish College in Los Angeles, gathered about 60 people all across the country and around the world, people that were doing community organizing work in their own communities. And it was such an experience of, um, of possibility. It had a lot of limits, actually. It was highly scheduled. People told us exactly where to go and what to do and what to read. There was a huge reading list and what to talk about. And, and uh, you know, it was highly facilitated and trained. But within those limits the expansiveness of conversation, the possibility felt by the gathered folks and what they were working on was remarkable. Some of it was seeing what projects they were doing in their own homes, but some of it was just the removal of the limits that society puts on us so often, the barriers that come up between us in human relationships 
So gathered in this group was a young brown grad who's working to organize Jews in Arizona and Spanish-speaking immigrants with no English working on health care in their communities and a white priest who got himself arrested recently as he was working to stop harassment of the folks in his parish, almost all immigrants, by police. It was a a rare and remarkable thing to experience this group of gathered people, all of them so focused on changing the world hyper-locally, right in their own blocks and their own neighborhoods, but coming together as a community to learn from each other. I actually felt the rarity and the beauty of it most poignantly on the ride to the airport at the end of the training. As we rode through the neighborhoods of D.C., I was in a a car with the usual mix of folks that had been at um, at this community organizing training, a bunch of folks who spoke only Spanish and then some who spoke English and someone from a synagogue in Cleveland and And as we drove through the neighborhoods, as we made our way to the airport, and I saw the changing faces on the blocks, I became more and more aware of how unusual it is for us to be gathered in community that transcends those block divisions, those neighborhood divisions, the divisions of race and class that we put up in our society, those divisions that divide us. I don't mean to say that at that community organizing training there was a sense of all being the same. There wasn't. In fact, what was possible was an open conversation about our differences, about the different experiences that we had in the world, what it was like to inhabit our neighborhoods, our bodies, ourselves. that experience of possibility in the world, of what might happen if people worked in this way all across the country, and if we learned to reach beyond those divisions was transformative. So here I am, having had these experiences of limitlessness and limits, the power and the peril of limits both, of spaciousness and expansive possibility, thinking about how I bring those experiences forward into my non-sabbatical life. In the children's story, I talked about how my foot was transformed over those three months. Now, as I have put my shoes back on, my platform shoes, I'm aware of how much they pinch. You know, some of what we find when we step back and step away is an unwillingness to come back into the pinching, whether it's high-heeled shoes, which really might not be a great invention, (laughs) or or whether it's a racially and socioeconomically divided society. When we step out, we see what it is we can't anymore tolerate. 
Before my sabbatical, I talked about transformation, the very beginning of May, you might remember that month, and the William Bridges book, which is many years old now, it's a classic actually called Transition. William Bridges talks about uh, transitions happening, starting with an ending, and then a neutral zone, and that's what I said my sabbatical would be, and then a beginning. It's the opposite way that we sometimes think about transitions, but I really like it. And so I thought a lot about that neutral zone over my sabbatical, not knowing quite where to go or where to be, not having anyone tell me what my next appointment was. And the question now, I think, is how to have that beginning informed by the neutral zone. I've also been reading a book by Charles Eisenstein called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. I kind of just like the title of that book. Now you, don't, you can skip the book. No, you should read the book. It's really good. But the title's really good, too. The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Doesn't that just sound true somehow? Eisenstein talks about the limitless possibility found when we embrace the idea of interbeing, connectivity, the idea that I'm not just an individual all by my lonesome, but that I am deeply connected to each of you and to, in fact, the entire world, the ecosystem in which we live and of which we are a part. It, to me, sounds like a pretty ethical culture kind of idea, the idea of being in relationship with each of us, and with the world. And what Eisenstein says in this book is that all of us are needed, that the smallest little things we do, no matter how inconsequential they seem, how personal they seem, if they're pointing toward this more beautiful world, the one our hearts know is possible, that they're part of that transformation These last three months have been a a different experience for you all as well, of course, not just for me, as I was removed from the system and hoping for more connections between you as you did the work of this community, and I know some of that has happened. I secretly Facebook stalked you, Um, (laughs) Wes specifically, Um, not any of you personally, Um, mostly. I mean, some people are having babies and stuff, you know. I mean, (laughs) got to make sure everybody's doing okay. But I did secretly um, Facebook stalk Wes, and and I can see how many wonderful things happened during that time. As I come back, I feel so acutely aware of how honored I am to do this work and also how deeply connected the work is, how much it is not my work to do but our work. One of the readings for the community organizing training that I went on in Los Angeles was an essay called White Man's Burden by William Easterly. It's from the Rudyard Kipling poem of that title, which you might know. And the article is about the the total failure, essentially, um, in this person's opinion, of the kind of um, big plans from the West to solve third world poverty. You know, these, these large plans that come and then we haven't solved third world poverty yet, right? Um, and the idea in the essay is that those plans aren't, aren't often locally based and locally led and locally created. And, of course, there are some wonderful examples as well of plans that are locally led and locally based and locally created. There was a, 
a great example, asked me about it later, about two different ways of getting malaria nets to people, one of which was kind of top-down and one of which was um, really created by the community. And in, in one, the malaria nets are all used, you know, to save children from getting malaria, and the other one, they become bridal veils. Um, because nobody, because they didn't ask for them, they didn't want them, they, you know. So, um, so it's a great, it's a great essay, but one of the things I really liked in it, it talked about the, um, the savior modality out of which so many of us operate. And as you might know, I really love fantasy and, and kind of science fiction novels and, and, um, particularly ones primarily aimed for teenagers. And, um, and so it was talking about the Harry Potter series and, uh, and this myth of Harry Potter, the savior who comes and saves the world and, and how, um, how tempting that myth is. And the idea, William Easterly wrote in this article, that actually it's totally ineffective, that instead we need to all be saviors together. One of the biggest limits I experienced on my sabbatical was that I wasn't here. (laughs) I sent myself a bunch of emails for when I get back, now, it kind of sounds daunting, actually, but it, was, it felt great during sabbatical. Oh, you have to do this when you get back, right? wrote it to myself. I made a list, too, in my journal <laughs> of everything I want to do. That's the title of the list. Everything I want to do. It's only two pages, so I guess I, it might, might be possible. But, but really, of course, the list is everything I hope we do together. Everything I want to talk to someone about. Everything I think someone might be interested in here. I was very aware over that time of the power of a community like this one. It made me think in a lot of ways about my initial original call to ministry when I was a 13-year-old and couldn't mostly have articulated what I thought I might be doing. But what I would have said then was that congregations seemed like great places to organize people to change the world. And I wanted to be part of that. It was especially hard to be away from you during difficult times over these three months. During the hate and racism-based massacre in Charleston, South Carolina, and the shooting in Tennessee. I make sense of events like that in a community. I was so grateful for the board's note. See, I told you I Facebook stalked you about Charleston that they sent around. Grateful that you were a community together making sense with each other or figuring out the next step. It's hard for me to know how to respond as an individual, but when you have a community to think with and organize with, to cry with and hope with, then you can imagine, I think, the next steps. Before my sabbatical, I thought a lot about how I might transform, what that transformation might look like. We now know it looks like red nail polish and tan lines on my feet. Now, as I re-enter, I am thinking about how we might transform how you might transform, how you have transformed already. What a joy this morning to stand at the front door and see people coming in and being welcomed, clearly known in the community 
whom I've never met before. I can't wait to meet you. I know the board has been thinking about vision, about moving forward, about what is next for this community, thinking about growth in size, perhaps, in relationality as well, I hope, in connectivity. I'm thinking about justice work, what it will mean for us together to have justice work seep into our soul ever more deeply, to be a training ground for activists just the way that training I went to in Los Angeles was. Thinking more and more about who we can be and continue to become together. It was wonderful to have time away with my comfy shoes on. It is good to be back. It's even better to begin imagining with you what is next. From where my feet are, the possibilities are limitless.